All right, everyone. Happy holidays. It is, uh, it's 2019 and um, this is the first of the Holiday Chat 2019 calls. I'm joined on the line with, uh, with Mark. Um, and when I asked Mark uh, if he wanted to, to keep things anonymous or not, he asked me if he could shout out his, his website address. So what, let's, get out of that, yeah. let's get that out of the way, Mark. Tell us about your business and what the website address is. Hi, my name is Mark Brooks. I'm actually a small business owner along with my partner, Daryl Aclaret. We're nurses out in New Jersey. Our business is called Brooks CPR. Our website is brookscprnynj.com. That's Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, C-P-R-N-Y-N-J.com. We have three locations, one in Hackensack, New Jersey, one in Newark, New Jersey, and one in Staten Island, New York. Awesome. Okay. And, and so you basically, you, you'd help people keep up their CPR certifications or learn it for Correct. the first time. Is that right? Okay. So Correct. particularly for nurses, doctors, home health aides, stuff like that. Okay. So what did you want to talk about then? So what I want to say, this is a great course and a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. I know you have a strong body of knowledge. And I think that generally speaking, it's so dangerous out here on the internet. And now I've been, I'm 41 years old. I've been trying to now in the last three years, I, I woke up and realized that, you know, financial freedom is extremely important, but it's so hard to find quality people who are knowledgeable that can give you quality information. Information is key. So on our journey, me and my um, business partner, Daryl, we've been out here basically, and it's funny, I actually found your course I was at a real estate course and I went there. I have to find your, I think, 21 mistakes people make buying a franchise or what? Or well, the, the 21, stu- 21 stupid things people do when trying to buy a business. Right. And then I bought the other one, the franchise. I, I think okay. I bought all your books or the audio books because I don't really like to read. But the audio books and stuff like that. And it just really, in the last two years we've had our business, it just really hit a lot of mistakes that we made or things that I've seen. And that's how I kind of knew like, Oh, this guy really knows what he's talking about because it really hit home and just generally the mindset and mentality that needs to be, to be successful. So that being said, that's why, you know, and, and then your prices are very affordable. It's very, it's hard. Like even this conversation now, it's hard for one of the things that you're learning is that you really have to invest in yourself as a nurse. I begin to say, okay, training and education, and you like if you want to be successful, you got to pay for it. And unfortunately, a lot of these people are super expensive. But it's hard not to say, hey, why would I not pay for an hour for sixty dollars? Because that's a pair of sneakers. Sneakers call actually cost more than that, <laughs> right? Well, like honestly, I will. You know what? Maybe next year I'll reprice it for whatever sneakers are going for. <laughs> right. <laughs> New balance. So so twenty. So what's what's going on in your business? What what are you looking at down the road? Uh, what did you want to talk to about today? So we're, I'm really interested now. I fell out the survey. I don't know if you got to read that, but um, home cares, mm-hmm. particularly home cares. And I know you said you had a client before who bought a home cares, but what I need to know is the multiples that is used general average. I don't have access to that. Oh, and okay. go over your web things like, and go over your, you know, I did a, a, a venture or business advantage course. And I need to have access to multiples. What I'm doing is trying to find the deals 
and knowing if they're even a good deal to even move forward to even pursue that. So a lot of these people are saying things that's just not true or they're off the chain with it. So I need to know the multiples for home cares in New Jersey and if it's franchise for franchise and non-franchise home cares under a million dollars that's sold. Also assisted living places so in New Jersey. Let's, so, so first of all, it, it doesn't matter where the place is, um, whether it's in New Jersey oh. or another place. It's it basically the, the risks associated with a, a certain business type uh, transcends time and location, you know, as long as it's within the same country, basically. So oh, okay. I didn't know that. somebody, somebody who's going to buy a home care that has, you know, earnings of 200 grand in Indianapolis, they're going to, they're going to look at that 200 grand the same way as someone in New Jersey would. And the, the question they're going to ask themselves is how much am I willing to pay to get these, this cash flow? What, what makes sense for me? And um, do you have any idea of how big the business would be as far as sales? Less than a million. Less than a million. Probably okay. half so, a million. That's why I put down a thing like 600K. That's what I'm assuming. Because I'm assuming like you were saying is that we can find something that's not efficient, but still profitable. Mm-hmm. Look for something with problems that we know we could do. Maybe they're not marketing enough and stuff like that. They don't have enough referrals. They haven't built a, you know, a, a chain, a funnel for referrals. So that's what we're looking for. So something like under a million, about half, 400 to 600,000. Yeah. Gross revenue. Turnkey. So, so let's, let's talk about home care and let's talk about the, the unskilled home care. So, yeah. That's okay. what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was talking about. Non-skilled home care. Yeah. So just for everyone who's going to be listening, we're talking about a service where an older person's living in their home and they have someone who visits a couple of times a week to help them with their housework and their laundry, maybe some food preparation and things like this. Right. So sort of, yeah. sort of housekeeping type of stuff. Uh, but, but these are not nurses, you know, giving medications or anything like that. And so if you think about that kind of business, uh, it's a service business and there are may or may not be barriers to entry depending on jurisdiction as far as licensing. If the workers have to have a certain kind of certificate or designation, et cetera, in order to do that kind of work. Um, and so as a service business, service businesses tend to have lower multiples, but what this kind of business does have going for it is a subscription revenue model. So people will hire someone to help out and do home care and typically stay with them for a while. Right. And so right the average is about four to six years. Yeah. So you have this monthly revenue that comes from the client. So service work makes the multiple go down. Subscription revenue makes the multiple go up. Now let's think though about, um, what you get when you buy this kind of business, right? So we, we know that we get the employees that are currently working there and we get the customers that are currently there. One of the reasons why we buy a business though is because of the future, because of the ongoing business. And so let's think about this home care business and let's compare it to a gas station, okay? So if you have a, a gas station, which is at a, you know, interstate on-ramp and there's lots of car traffic there that gas station they don't know their customers they they can't name many of their customers 
but every year they could do a consistent amount of business because they happen to be situated right there by the highway. And so a buyer is going to look at that and they're going to say, well, you know, in the future, they're probably going to, they're probably going to perform very similar to how they have been because of the advantage they have of this location. So then the question is with a service like home care, where you're going into people's private homes, it's not like a retail business where you have the right location that's going to make you successful. Something else is bringing the customers. And so this is something that has to be examined. I have helped people in the home care industry evaluate their businesses. And I've talked with a lot of people who are trying to buy one of these or sell one of these. And one of the, and, and in fact, there's someone in my adventure coaching group who's done acquisitions of these types of businesses at the much larger. I remember you talking about that. Yes. Yeah. Multi, uh-huh. multi-million dollar um, um, deals. And here's, here's what has to be discovered is where are the referrals coming from? Because right. a business like this depends upon relationships with social workers, clergy, doctors, you right. know, many kind of points of influence when someone decides that they need help with this kind of thing. And so it has to be determined where are the referrals coming from. There was, um, there was a home care service <clears throat> in the Midwest and I worked, uh, I did an evaluation for them. And there are two partners in the business a man and a woman. And the lady literally spent half of her week going from one sort of networking group to another and different organizations, excuse me. And the reason why she was doing that was to make sure that the organization always had that public face. And she was, she was basically creating the relationships to get the referrals. Right. Right. That's normal. And so if she left the business and you suddenly had to do that, would people like you as much as they like her? And, right. and that's kind of the question, right? Because the, the likability of that individual who's going out in the market to create the referral relationships is the same as the gas station's location to the business. Mm. It's, it's, it's vital. It's the reason why people are choosing it. And, and if you want to, if you want to compare it to another home service, okay, let's say uh, roofers who put shingles on houses, right? So roofers also go to people's private homes, but they don't sell entirely through referral. They have advertisements, flyers, pages, you know, advertisements online, et cetera, that right. bring inquiries and they go out and they make sales calls and they give people quotes and stuff. So as a buyer of that roofing business, the seller can say, look, here's what we do. This is the ad program we have. And this is the flyer we put out every spring. And and here are the calls I get. And this is how I quote. So as a buyer, I'm pretty certain that I can take over that marketing plan and make it work for me because it's not based on the personal relationships. This, this is the challenge with the home care. It's um, figuring out why people are going to that business. And if that will continue once you become the owner. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I did read when you when you submitted for the call that this is what we were going to be talking about. So I did some research. So Perfect. what I found is that you know under two million dollars in sales, a lot of these businesses um, they they trade for the same kind of multiple that many other service companies do. So you know you're looking at the high singles up into two two point two kind of multiple. 
And it's only when they start to get into the multi-million dollars, like north of two million, that the multiple starts to grow. And and that's pretty common for all the businesses. Because once you So we're talking about the high as sorry to interrupt, but just we're talking about two point two then is the highest I'm looking at. And this is for a non skill. Is this franchise or non franchise? It doesn't it doesn't matter because because what you're buying is the cash flow. So, you know, if you buy a franchise name and they provide you with, say, computer systems to to manage the system better and and maybe their name brings in some some of the clients because they recognize the name or what have you. Well, sorry, just to cut you off real quick, the non-franchise has a better advantage though. If you're doing these numbers, because now there's more territories you could go into. The franchises, you have territories. Yeah, but what you're buying is cash flow, right? And but, so but I'm also opportunity, future opportunity. I know you are like this blue yeah, sky nonsense. Well, well, that's the reason you want to buy it, right? And, and so, so you're right, it's worth considering. But... <clears throat> If we look at if we look at what you're getting when you buy this business, the right. the franchise might have advantages operationally and with advertising, but that comes with the extra cost, the franchise fee. Correct. Right. Uh-huh. And so, you know, to to draw a parallel, <clears throat> I've seen, for example, many franchised uh, pizza joints, where you know an independent will have lower sales than a franchise location and earn the same amount of money. Right. 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 And you're saying the highest multiple, if it's just like in the 1 million range, is it the highest multiple we're looking at like 2.2, but usually it's around the one. So well, I'm not multiplying revenue here. We're multiplying seller's discretionary earnings, just to be clear. Right. SDE. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so if that, if that home care service doing a million dollars, of sales has an SDE of 200 grand, then, then you're probably looking at a purchase price, you know, around or a little bit less than 400. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the highest multiple you saw was like around 2.2. Everything else is around one and the ones, the high ones. Okay. That's correct, right? Hello, David. Oh, sorry. Think about this. How difficult is it to start one of these things from scratch? Right? P- P- right. People well, are working on that yeah. all the time. Right. And they, they start by working themselves and they hire a few people and they get more clients. And, and so there's very little barrier to entry. And, and the one, the, the second biggest problem in this industry besides the referrals is labor. Right. The home health aides. Correct. Right. Is, is getting enough people qualified to do the work who are willing to do the work because, um, you know, in a lot of places, these are not really high paid jobs. So if you, if you're in an area where, you know, I've, I've heard ideally the mix is to have an area that has, um, some more affluent people who can afford to buy the service and then some other people who will want to work in the service in the same region. Right. Cause people aren't going to commute an hour to go do work for, you know, oftentimes what a little bit more than minimum wage. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's the home care situation. Mm-hmm. Also asked about the assisted living. So do you mean like, um, like a nursing home? No, like an adult daycare or, um, more 
so essentially what they're doing now is buy more and more people are buying houses and essentially um so instead of a, a nursing home um people are like people who might have like uh, autistic children who are adults now are living there they're being supervised um that is more of like an assistant living type of environment or mm-hmm. sometimes people they don't hello yeah i'm here right so that's or even elderly people they kind of share a house but a lot of times it's really just people who have um autistic adults who just have to be supervised they have their own type of rooms they live in a shared house hmm. and there's always one person there watching yep. them make sure they take their meds and stuff like that yeah so so a business like that, while someone might buy a house and convert it into that, usually in most jurisdictions, they have to do much more than simply, you know, get a, a home built as a residence. They have to do more to it. So sometimes they have right. to put in sprinkler systems and all kinds of other things that we would normally associate with a more commercial type of building. And so mm-hmm. um, I, the work that I've done on it with people who are looking at those kinds of things, the comparables I've looked at, have a really high multiple of EBITDA, but it usually includes the real estate in it in its ah. value, because because the building to a certain degree is the business, and this this is the same kind of thing we see when we're looking at a motel or a mini storage, for example, where um, yeah, it's a business, but the business really is the building, and so the two of them kind of you go can't together. The business model is certain type of building. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you might, you might find, for example, that an assisted living facility like that, and, and, and I didn't do research for this one, but you might find that it goes for nine, 10, 11 times EBITDA, but that would include the mm. house because so much of the value, um, you know, you need the house to deliver the service. It's almost like, it's almost like the house is a, a piece of machinery in a, in a machine shop. You know, the right. building itself is one of the major components of delivering the service. Mm. Okay. So also, that's good information to know. I also wanted to know, generally speaking, the whole process. I know you say you had a person in your adventure route right now. He also bought these home cares previously. What's the process? Like, how did he go about finding the deals? Did he close individuals as a person or only as like a CEO as a company? Like, because it's like, I'm looking over the internet and there's a lot of bad deals out there. Yeah. And thank goodness I took the course. <laughs> thank, thank goodness I took the business advantage course because I, like, I'm literally, the more educated I become, I, you know, I think there was something that you talked about a third party, just not knowing what they're doing. And I, I, I don't know, but I mean, you tell me because you were a broker or you're a broker. Is, like, is anyone allowed to be a broker? Like, how does this work? Because there's people giving funky numbers to me. Yeah. And I realized, like, wow, what's that? So, so you know, here's the, quick, here's the quick rundown is that in many states, to be a business broker, you have to have a real estate license. And That's if, you it? Go, if you go and study the real estate license, it's got nothing to do with business. Correct. Right. So, so in some places you'll have people who have a real estate license who think that they're therefore qualified to sell businesses. If, 
if I was not licensed as a real estate agent in New Jersey and just decided to start acting like one, like if I just put my, my face on a sign and you hired me and I put the sign up in front of your house, other real right. estate agents would see that sign and they would report me, right? And right. Like, hey, there's this clown trying to sell a house and he's not even a real, not a licensed realtor. And I would get right. Into, right. And so, but here's the thing is, is the market for businesses is a secret market. So is it what type of market? It's a secret market. Okay. So, so someone could be a person who isn't even a real estate licensed person in a, in a state that requires that. And they could just call themselves a business broker and they could be signing up people and putting up businesses for sale. And nobody would even. I, I had a lady tell me that I could go to the bank and use goodwill as leverage to the bank. I said, what? I said, what? And it's, it's funny because like, these people are just throwing out these terms. I realized, I'm like, wait, I understand what goodwill is because I went through this course. I'm like, you tell me I could go. I mean, obviously, that's something you were talking about in your course. I use that to calculate. And this goes back to the home care, right? The goodwill the referrals, the relationships people built, the momentum they started. That's important when I talk to the owner and we come up with our number. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I can't go to no darn bank and be like, oh, yeah, they got goodwill. Let's do that. Right? Well, like that's well so, so remember that the definition of goodwill is the difference between the asking price and the value of the tangible assets in the business. Okay. Right? So, so, um, if the total price of the business is reasonable with respect to the cash flow, then uh-huh. in the United States, if you qualify, you can do an SBA 7A loan and they will make their loan based on the purchase price, which means that you could end up financing some amount of goodwill. But it, it's case by case, depends on the business, the industry, et cetera. And they've got a whole bunch of rules about what will and what will. Right, you're also saying in your program, it's like only, I was, well, watch one of your videos recently. Mm-hmm. Did you know, like only 30% of people actually get, you know, bank financing? Yeah. Most deals. So that's crazy. You know, that's saying 10 people walk in there. Only three out of 10 people are going to get it. That's not uh, good odds. And, and here's the thing is when times are good and the banks are willing to make loans, um, a lot of deals get done that way it isn't necessarily a good thing for people who are buying though, because if things turn south, right. You still, you still owe the bank, whatever it is you borrowed from them. Right. That, that, right. That's why I'm a, a big proponent of having a good amount of seller financing because y- you can do so much more with it. And, and, and when you borrow from a person who used to own the business, if, if your business starts to have problems, let's say there's an economic downturn, your business starts to have problems you can go talk to the person and renegotiate right. terms a lot more easily than you can with the bank. Right. And so that's right. why, I mean, myself personally, I like to see financing from a bank used for tangible assets. And what else? Like a tractor trailer or landscaping. Right. Yeah. Like equipment because, and, and then the, if there's goodwill, you try to get as much as you can, the goodwill financed by the seller or, or with your own money. But what that means is that if there's really some kind of problem and the business is just going to absolutely fail, at least you can sell those tangible assets to get money to repay the bank. Right. The, the, 
home care, there is no tangible assets. Like you're going to sell the laptop, you're going to sell the desktop. It's, yep. it, it, so like, that's, that's the problem with that. Like there's not a lot of stuff. Like, so. And so, right. so let, let me give you, let me give you a little, a little story about how this would work in the scenario the lady told you about. Okay. So, so you'd call the banker and you'd say, I've got a, I'm going to buy a home care business and it's got this kind of cash flow. Can I do the SBA 7A? And the banker is going to say, absolutely. Come in, come on in and make an application because the banker okay. doesn't, doesn't actually make credit decisions. The banker is a, he's not the underwriter. They're a salesperson, gotcha. right? Their job is to get the loans in. Right. And so then, then you go into the bank, you make your application, you submit everything and then it comes back and it says, yeah, we'll make the loan, but there's not enough collateral. And then right. they say, they say, where, where, where's your house, Mark? Where, where do you live? Do you, uh, in Jersey. you got, you got equity in your home? No, I'm saying this is what the banker's yeah. going to say. And then, and then they're right. going to ask you to put up all these personal guarantees and personal assets mm. as security on the loan to buy the business. Right. And, and so what I always ask is I say, look, if the business is so valuable, why can't the business be the collateral? Right. And that's the argument you make to a seller. You say, you're telling me this business is worth this amount of money because of all the money you make. If the business is worth, is worth something, then the business is the collateral. Well, what I've learned from, from talking to you and, and watching your videos and also just doing other research outside of you, Moving forward, to be honest with you, there's no way I would go for a while owner financing or seller financing because understanding now what you're just saying, like how you really just educated me and just, just doing the math, thinking about like why, if your business, like, first of all, there's a lot of distrust. And generally speaking, a lot of stuff you said is true. When you're a business or small business owner, there are certain games that people are going to play with the IRS just so they can have advantage. Yeah. So the numbers they're going to put down, I think there's the saying that you said, saying just because a business does not look profitable doesn't mean it's not making money or something. It's mm -hmm. something that you said in one of your videos that I was like, yo, that's true. Because you can show that you're negative on paper, but you're actually doing well. So the only person that really, at the end of the day, really knows how well or how bad the business is doing is the seller. That's right. So, I, it makes sense that this person say, hey, if you're saying that your business is doing well, then why would you not do owner financing with me? Like, and well, that way, like you're... I'm sorry, go ahead. Mark, you raise another point there too, because if you're talking about someone who has done things with their business so that the profitability isn't there, then, then that avenue for the SBA program probably isn't there either because, because the Good SBA point. people, they want to look at the tax returns. That's what they want to use to make the decision. And so now right. if you start to say, I want to borrow a bunch of money to buy a business, which I'm told makes money, but on, pay, but on the tax return does not. Well, then right. the, the, the bank yeah, is going to say, well, then you can't afford to make payments. Right. And, and, and it doesn't move forward at all. Right. So that's something that's really serious. So, so just really quick, how does seller finance work? There's an interest rate too, because I was talking to some people and they're like, sometimes you're, they're borrowing, it's like they're giving you a loan or it's a loan with zero AP, like zero interest rate or you're, they're trying. Right. How does seller finance work? Or is it an interest rate over a certain, like I, I know everything is up to negotiation, but normally when you see these type of things, how is that, how do I, how do I approach that? Normally I would say, Hey, Give me three years, 
I'll give you your money back in three years, right? These are all for actually like obviously small businesses under a million dollars, say around half a million. So you're right. It's all up to negotiation. You still have to take into account though, what the finance payments are going to take out of your cash flow. So one of the things that one of the problems that I see a lot of people do quite often is they'll, they'll look at the SDE and they'll say, okay, out of this SDE, I need to take money home for my own pay. And then the rest of it to the seller for debt. repayment. They'll just, they'll just say, well, if there's a hundred thousand dollars of SDE, I need 70 grand to take home so I can afford payments up to 30 grand a year. And they'll agree to pay the seller over a very short period of time. But what they're forgetting about are taxes. They're forgetting about um, any capital expenditure because the SDE is before depreciation and amortization. So if any equipment breaks or wears out, that's all got to come out of the SDE. And they're, they're forgetting about any kind of return on their own cash that they put into the deal. And so people will, sellers will want short repayment terms because they want to get out of their risk position as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, in, in promising to pay someone back too quickly, you actually put the payments in jeopardy because now it's questionable about whether the business can survive. Correct. So what do you usually recommend? A five-year term, an eight-year term? What? You got to work it out on paper each time. So, so what typically happens is you make an offer on the business and, and maybe the seller says, I don't want to do any seller financing. And, and you say, well, you know, I like your business. Would you accept this price? And then you go to the bank and the banker tells you no. Then you go back to the seller and you say, look, I can't get the loan, uh, but I'm qualified and I've got good credit and I've got home equity and I've got savings. You know, if they won't help me, who are they going to help? So yeah, if, you want to sell, if you want to sell this business, maybe we need to work something out where I pay you over time. And then he'll say, okay, but I want to be paid really quickly. So you work out on a spreadsheet what your cash flow forecast is going to be. And you show him that if you pay him over two or three years, that you're going to end up bankrupt <laughs> because, yeah. because all the money will be leaving the business. And you say, look, you're not going to get the second half of your payments because if I agree to this, I won't be here. I won't be here. And that's why it's got to be over seven years or five years or whatever it is. And so you have to work it out. And, and so creating the cash flow forecast is actually a tool you can use in the negotiation because you can sit down, you can talk to the business seller and you say, look, here's how my business is going to look based on what you did. And as you can see, I can't afford to pay you that quickly. Right. Right. The, the, the key is to create a relationship with the seller so that they see you as a person who's going to be successful running the business because right. with seller financing, it's just entirely up to them if they're going to do it or not. And, you know, if they won't do it, it's often a couple of things. It's, it's either that they don't think you can really run the business or they don't believe in the business actually enough to believe that it can make the payments or they know right. that they're, they know that they're not telling you something. Um, Correct. Or they're, or they're simply ignorant. They just, they've never right. been involved in a deal. They've never been told that this is how deals sometimes get done. And with, with those people, what, what will happen is they might say no and then they'll wait for the next buyer and the next buyer won't be able right. to get financing either. 
right? Over time, they get worn out. And eventually they realize if I want to get out of this thing, I'm going to have to work out some kind of deal. Right. Okay. The, the seller has to be motivated. There has to be something making them want to move on to the next thing. Okay. Next question I had to ask you though, this is switching over just because of our environment here. Laundry mats. What's hmm. your thoughts on those? Um, like a coin operated place with or without an employee? Um, with. With an employee. So I would be able to stop by and drop off my laundry and they would do it like a, a fluff and fold service, wash and fold service. They'll have a mixture of both, but usually, you know, it'll be coin operator or car operator, whatever you want to say. And the client does their own laundry normally, but they also have service where they could get it folded and ironed and stuff like that. So yeah, I've, I've sold a place like that back in my business broker days. And the, the challenge is this, um, you've got your rent and then you have that the cost of the employee and you've got electricity and you've got, you've got all of these fixed costs that, that don't change. You know, if, if your sales go down a little bit, your water bill might go down a little bit, but the water bill is not a big part of the expenses, right? Right. The big part of the expenses is the rent, the employee, and, you know, some of the other stuff going on there. So it's all about volume. It's actually very similar to the pizzeria business, right? Yeah. You, know, you They earn a huge profit on a pizza. It only costs a couple dollars to make a pizza and they sell it for almost 20. But the problem is they have to sell a couple hundred pizzas just to cover all of those costs before they really make any profit at all. And so with a laundromat, the question is, is there consistent volume there for me be, to be able to make money all the time? And the, the place that I sold, it was in a location that was too big. So the, the person who opened the laundromat they got a sweet deal from a landlord who built a new, a new strip mall and they got, you know, right. months of free rent and stuff like that. And the place was too big from the beginning. And what they tried to do is they tried to find other ways to make money in there. And what they settled upon was uh, the tanning beds. So they had a laundromat and they had tanning beds. And for many years, the business worked really well because people would come in, they put their laundry in the washing machine and then they would go tan and then they would come oh. back out and they would move their things over to the dryer. And, and so they could make like a little evening of going to the laundromat and do more than one thing while they were there, right? And so what ended up happening, this was in Canada. In Canada, the government made it illegal for anyone under 18 to tan. And under eight, is okay. anyone under 18 wasn't allowed to tan anymore. It was either 18 or 16, I can't remember. Um, but adults still could. But it didn't matter right. because once, once the government made that rule, a lot of adults started to say, you know what, if, if it's illegal for kids, why am I doing it? Right. So, it's dangerous. So the tanning business ended up fading away and the laundromat business by itself wasn't enough to carry the overhead of that location. That's mm. what happened to those guys. So what's the multiples usually used for laundromats? Oh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's pretty much the same as most small businesses. I mean, if it's, if it's, um, 
you know, producing like under six figures of SDE, then it's probably not going to go for more than two, two and a half times. Like and that, and that, you know, it depends on the situation. It's, there are no hard and fast rules. It, you have to really look at each one individually and try and compare it with comparable transaction data. If you can find it, that's, that's why when I do these things, it's, it's work. Like I have to go and I have to look up records of other transactions and, and not just, right. not just look at what they sold for as a multiple, but then actually look at their numbers. Is this business really similar to the one I'm looking at? Is it similar in sales? Right. Similar apples to apples. I got you. You know, um, because different businesses can be different in different ways. I mean, um, you could have a laundromat and then the front end of the place could actually be like a little market, like a little convenience store. Like people will add a laundromat type of business to a lot of other types of businesses. Right. And, and so you have to make sure you're actually looking at comparables. Okay. Mm. The, the uh. laundromats that do not have an employee. Um, what I've seen is that they, they seem to me like they get kind of expensive. And I think that's driven by the idea people get that it can somehow be a passive thing. You know, I'll just own the laundromat and I'll just go collect coins every day. And right. um, the reality of owning a laundromat is that you need to learn how to fix machines. Correct. That's the biggest expense I was thinking <laughs> is these machines because they're always going out. Yeah. I was wondering and, and there's all kinds of stuff that you're probably going to learn, be able to learn how to do yourself. You know, like the dryers would have belts, you know, around the drum and the motor and all. Like, there's the regular stuff that would break all the time. Uh, but I know in the, in the laundromat that, uh, that I sold repair and maintenance was a big expense because the machines were older. Exactly. And, and if you went to replace them with newer machines, well then, then you yes. have, you know, all the investment in updating the equipment. Right. I mean, right now my plan and I get away on this way into this. Like, so my salary is like 96 K. Mm-hmm for three days a week. And that's just my base salary. I only work three days a week. And, you know, I mean, one of the biggest thing I wanted to use this or this time as was to be able to use you, use you as a sounding board, because I know you have experience and you've seen a lot, but you know, going over the video, you said like, this is what you want minimum to replace your salary. So my salary, my business partner salary is about 90,000, 96,000 too. That's not including the healthcare we're getting, the vacation mm -hmm. time we're getting, you know. So I it's need a, to find it's a, a hard business. Job. That's a hard job to leave, in my experience. Yeah, I'm done though. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm not going sleepless nights working our business as a solopreneur. For no reason, like I, I'm done. Like I, I, I'm done because I've looked at the numbers. Really, it's funny because I got something in the mail recently about our pension, and yeah. I have 13 years of the game. So my game, my game plan was okay. I'll stick this out for seven years. Let me start these businesses. Let me get this going. Let me get this started. So we get this cash flow going, and then I realized how much they were to give me. I after reached my 20 year point. I think at most I'll be able to get like, you know, like 20,000 or 30,000 a year after 20 years. You mean out, out, of, the, out of the pension plan? Out of the pension plan. 
that's not a lot of money. No. My property taxes alone is um, 9500 a year. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? So at, at 41, so now I have to start looking at the opportunity cost. I'm like, okay, I'm 41 years old now. And that's, like, so if I did, so I'm 65, I would get um, $59,000 a year. I would get 59. Basically, it worked out that I was getting paid $1,500 a year until, you know, age like 60 or 65 to do that. And so that's pre-tax. And so, you know, I start saying like opportunity costs and, you know, people living their whole life for a pension. It sounds like you're just waiting to die to me. And so. Yeah, I hear you. I, I can't do that anymore. I just can't really do that. So I'm just like, so what do I need? Cause it's funny. I didn't know what I needed. And then you kind of put it in the form of like, this is what you kind of need. And so, because at the end of the day, I still have my nursing license. So I can always work per diem or contract. Mm -hmm. I can always pick up a couple of shifts a month. There's no reason like not to be able to do a business really, except, you know, if you're enslaved mentally to this, you feel you have to do that for, this concept of security purposes. And I don't really feel as though once you're an employee now, you're secure as much as you believe you want to be. So how would you go about and what assets would you try to, because you say you, in, your, in your neighborhood you have this, you can use your investment that you could put into this uh, real estate account or something like that and they give you about a 11% or 10% return on your, on your money. We don't have anything like that out here. Oh, um, David. What, which I'm sorry, you're gonna have to jog my memory a little bit more. Where, where, where was I talking about that? You were talking about the business advantage um, course. You were saying opportunity oh, calls, private, private and mortgages. Also, yeah, private mortgages. There you go. Yeah. So, so there are people who want to do deals in real estate who, for whatever reason, can't go to a bank. And so, so they'll go to what's called a hard money lender or a private Correct. lender. And mm -hmm. so, you know, private mortgage lenders around here are charging 10, 11, 12%. And, and there are brokers that will do deals for individuals that have money. So if, if someone has 80 grand or 100 grand and they're willing to put it into a private mortgage deal, the broker will match them with someone who wants to borrow and charge a percentage for putting the deal together. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole other business. Um, and, and where you would learn more about that is that any of the guys who, who are talking about flipping real estate or doing, you know, rehabbing and stuff like that, a lot of those guys are using those kinds of lenders. Or hard money lenders. Yeah, hard right. money lenders, yeah. Right, but what I'm saying, like, I don't want to become a hard money lender. I thought that you were giving, is that what you were doing? Because, you know, that's the one reason why I'm interested in your, um, how to invest in your local community, whatever you're, course. You're talking, you about, you're talking about the book Invest Local. Invest Local. Yeah. Right. But that's one reason I know you offer a course too that that's interested in doing that too. Because we see a lot of like barbershops, like I'm keeping this local to me. Like I see a lot of guys started barbershops around here and you know, little small businesses, like how can we loan them money? And so we have about $150,000 in our business account. And we put it in a Marcus account. And that interest was like 2.25. Then it went down to 1.9 now. Mm. And just recently it went down to 1.7. 
essentially the money is dying. And I'm wondering, like, what can we do? How can we flip this money? How can we, I, I just don't want it to, you know, sit there and just die. I just feel as though I'm messing up. What can I do? Yeah. So, so when I use the example of the hard money lender, what I'm trying to do is use an example of a, a basically a risk-free way to, to earn a higher rate of return on your money because these private lenders usually only lend 60, 65% of the house's value, for example. So they don't get paid. Right. They, they're pretty much always certain that they can sell the house and get their money out of it, right? Um, right. I, I don't do that myself. What I do do are the deals that I describe in Invest Local. So I'll help out people. There was a deal I did. Um, it's actually been paid off now since uh, the beginning of this year. But these guys who uh, do work on um, floors, on concrete floors, they needed some grinding equipment and they were renting it every time they were using it. And they were spending a lot of money on rent every month from the tool place, you know, to rent this equipment. And they said, basically, if we could own this equipment, uh, we would save a lot of money. And so that's a no brainer of a deal because it means by lending them the money to buy the equipment, they actually get further ahead every month, even after they pay me. And so there's nothing more secure than helping your borrower earn more money because now they can more easily afford to pay you, right? And so in those deals, what I do is I look for small businesses um, that can use an investment that will be better off by borrowing the money. And so, so that doesn't mean giving someone money to finance losses until they can turn their business around or giving someone money so they can afford marketing you know, because they're trying to create a business. In the example of your barbershop, it would be, you know, lending someone money for the barber chairs and the barber chairs being collateral on the loan. So that, right. so that if something were to happen, you would at least end up with some barber chairs in your garage. And once you've got them there, sure. and then what you do is you try to find someone else who wants to open a barbershop who wants to take them either to buy them off of you or to turn it into a new loan. Because when right. small businesses go out there looking for credit, like just if you, if you, um, there's a, a lot of small businesses will turn to things like leasing or merchant cash advance and the, the rates right. are very high, you know, like um, for a lot of leasing for small businesses, 16, 18, 20% is the effective lease rate that they're paying. And so, right. If you can, and I always recommend that people be connected to them. So I don't advertise that I go looking for these deals. What happens is people know that I do these deals and then other people end up being connected to me. And so. What I do you mean by the connected? Like, okay. They can yeah, they network via a friend or something I, or someone else. I don't, I don't want to do uh, a local investing deal to a stranger. I want to do it with a friend of a friend. Mm. Right. Because, because then it makes it even more difficult for somebody not to pay you. To burn you. Right. right? Yeah. Social ties. There's, there's, there's a social cost. You know, if a business does poorly and they're going to go under and they owe money to the big, you know, the big giant bank. Well, they don't care. They don't care. Right. Yeah. Cause who's the big giant bank, you know, um, but if you burn, you know, Ted, then like Ted's friend is like, Hey, why'd you burn my friend? Yeah. You're a scumbag, blah, blah, blah. Social pressure. Right. 
Right. So, so you're going to be the last so one. So how do you market? How do you make people aware? This is what we talked about once they get attention. Did you print out cards? Like, how did you like circulate? Like, how do you make people, Hey, this is who we are. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Um, you know, for me personally, all I do is I just, as I, I tell people that I know that this is something I do. And then every once in a while, somebody will reach out to me and say, Hey, I heard from so-and-so that you do this kind of thing. Did you incorporate that at all for tax purposes? Is like, hey, we're a lender. No. Well, no. It, the deals are relatively small and relatively infrequent, so I just do them through the same corporation that I use for the business that I'm that I'm in right now, like the advising business. Gotcha. Because it's got a tax number and everything. Gotcha. All right. So, like I was saying, how would you go about moving if you know, if you were me? How would you like? What would be your plan for me? How would you, if you were going to consult me and say, hey, you want to reach this goal, what would you invest in? What would you do? How would you, if you were Mark Brooks hmm. what, in New Jersey, what would you do? What I would do is I would, I would, just like you said, you know, about your nursing license, I would do an analysis of what my skills are and what areas I was an expert in. And then I would go looking for opportunities to acquire businesses that were already making money that my expertise somehow applied to where I knew that I could, I could figure out ways to make those businesses grow. Assets. Okay. Yeah. What is your and, take and on your, liquor stores? Your CPR, your CPR business. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. why would you go buy a liquor store? Mm-hmm. That, that does not fall into line with all of your training and experience. Yes. And no, <laughs> I grew up poor in Philly. I, I understand. Like, I don't understand the logistics, but I could learn that. And I, I understand neighborhoods. I understand, like, that's, like, you know, the problem is that when you're starting a business, like, you got, like, this glitter syndrome. Like, everything that glitter, I, oh, I want to grab it. I get it. So that's why I have to eliminate things out my list. And I have, like, you know, I have hard skills. I have soft skills neighborhoods are my soft skills. I understand like this could be a potential profitable business or like, you know, like bodegas and stuff like that. But I'm like, no, we'll stay away from food, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Here's, here's the challenge with, with a business like that. Um, you know, a laundromat, a dry cleaner, a corner store, a liquor store, all of these types of, of sort of main street retail walk up, grab an item, pay cash, leave. Those right. businesses are fairly easy to manage, which means you right. have the widest possible pool of people wanting to buy them, which means that you've got a lot of competition if you're trying to buy one. And, and there are, you know, you did business buyer advantage. So you know that you have to figure out what your BATNA is and what your, you know, sort of target SDE is, how much money you need to earn. Well, right. people. I thought it was very interesting you bring up the BATA though, and you were saying particularly like immigrants or people like non speaking English speaking yeah. people. That was a really interesting because you know you see these businesses, and so I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like this is yeah. like a lower barrier to entry, and they have a more op- right. That's really an interesting way to look at that. Right. So, so if if I'm like a guy from from another country and I don't speak English, and even right. if I'm educated, even if I'm an engineer, right. 
I can't Correct. move to the States and become and work as an engineer because of the language barrier. Maybe, maybe my what were you saying? Like the program that Canada offered and which really kind of inflated the prices because everyone say, Oh, I have two years. I got to get this done. Yeah. So they're willing yeah. to pay more for it. Exactly. And so, so, but when they come in, they say, Oh, I could run that business even with limited language. Right. And so right. they'll, they'll pay more for that business because they need an income. And right. somebody like yourself, who's already working as a nurse, when you, if you have to compete against them, you'll, you'll never pay as much as they will for that level of income. Correct. You'll reach the plus point my salary, right? My salary and stuff. This doesn't make sense, right? I mean, somebody who, who you know, has got the the dream of making it in the new country. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna step right up to working seventy five hours a week. They won't have a problem doing that. And and right, they'll they'll do whatever it takes to get that business. Right, they're hungry. Right. Yeah. So so you have to get out of that market into some place where your own unique skills give you an advantage. Right. And so, mm. you know, you have a CPR training business. Are there other businesses like that that you could add on? Well, I mean, it's funny you said that because I'm in the process of actually saying, hey, let's, let's try to acquire other CPR business. Let's find these unicorns in their late, late 50s and 60s or kind of retire. I'm in the process of now talking to a gentleman about that. The problem is, too, is like, a lot of these CPR businesses, these guys don't keep good books and stuff like that. So, you know, it's one of those typical small business thing. But, yes, that's that's on our radar, too. Like, yeah. our biggest radar is what can we do to acquire – what assets? Now we're in a mindset we need to acquire assets that can produce money for us mm-hmm. so we could get – because our, our, our level is pretty high, right? Like I said, like, I make 96. My partner, he makes 96. And that's not including healthcare. Like unlike Canada, you know, in America, healthcare is no joke. I so that's like that's that's income, you know. Yeah. And I, I have three little kids, so like that's a lot of money that you, I have to do. If you if you add more CPR businesses that are just like the one you have now, then it also they they become more lucrative than maybe they are in the hands of their current owner. Because if you take right. over location and you rebrand it with your name, well, you're, right. still, you're still only maintaining one website and one, you know, telephone line, except now you got four locations or then five and then six. Right. So, right. so that's a, a strategic acquisition. That's what the big, big companies do. You know, they, they acquire something they can fold in that they're able to do even more with. Right. That's what we thought about too. I'm sorry. So, I mean, that's what you would, that's what you would do. Like, and that's why we naturally led us to the home care business, the non-skill one too. Was like, you know, cause we have experience in healthcare for 13 years now, you know, that's something. And I was able, we tried to acquire a business before that was actually literally in our same building. Gentlemen, he, he wound up not selling it to us, you know. Um, you know, but um, you know, we got to go over his books, and um, we got to see like even though like it's not really hard to be profitable, he only had about forty-two patients, mm-hmm. and he was still gross revenue half a million, and that's before I really knew how to read the profit and loss statement. 
And I realized, like, hey, this guy's just giving himself a salary of 100000 He's giving his wife a salary of fifty k. Like, this is good for us. Like, this mm-hmm. is – and it was turnkey and everything. And this was a franchise home care. So I was like, eh, we tried to make the deal happen. He wouldn't do it. So, you know, we lost out on that. But that's what really got my – like, like it, it doesn't really require – like, I'm not – we're willing to still keep working. Because we, I have to actually work nights too. My partner works nights too, so we're willing to continue working. Like I said, because I have a lot of freedom. I realize that now after starting a business, look at a lot of other like business owners or entrepreneurs. A lot of people have to give up their day job to run their business full time. Mm. You know, yeah. because they work five days a week or six days a week, right? Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five. I'm fortunate. I work only three days a week, and I work night shift. So there's many times I've gone from night shift to, let's say, it's cheaper for me to teach the class than paying an instructor. I'll just do that because I'm like, hey, it's okay. You know, or my partner didn't work that day. And so that night before, so he'll teach the class. I'll go. So we have a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I realize that now, unfortunately, but we still for 13 years, there's, a, there's stuff that we can do. And like, I just don't know how to do it. Fortunately, we found your courses and we can now start getting educated because even just reading these profit and loss sheets, you know, seeing these people, like it's, it's very dangerous. I realize that now it's very dangerous out here. I feel as though in the business world, it's like pre 2008, 2009, where like anyone can become like a mortgage broker and you have these people who are brokers and they incentivize to make a deal happen, right? That's their job. Like they're only going to get paid if a transaction happens. So at first I thought, okay, I have to worry about the seller, right? The seller might like fidge the numbers or fudge numbers or something. Now I realize I have to worry about the broker too. Would you agree with that? <laughs> well, like I gotta worry like, yo, this is like the, a, a sport, a combat sport that no one's talking about. This ain't the NFL, but it's rough out here. Uh, you gotta know what you're doing. It's, you know, I, I recommend that when people are dealing with business brokers that they need to build a relationship with them too. They, they need to mm. figure out what their feelings are about the broker. You know, mm. do they feel that this is a, a trustworthy, you know, stand up kind of person or, or do they have concerns? And so, so I, I hear what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Right. I, it's interesting you say building relationships because that's what I'm doing now for some brokers to say, hey, you got anything? Because that way, you know, they'll come to you with a good deal right away mm-hmm. if they know you're serious, yeah. right? If they know that you have, like, you know, capital and you say, hey, I'm really serious, I'm willing to pull the trigger. But I also found, like, talking to, like, some younger brokers who are really genuine, nice kids, they're kind of incompetent, too. Like, you say, hey, I don't know if this kid's competent, right? Well, so, you know, I can tell you from my own experience, um, it takes a long time to become really good at it. And one of the things that a good qualified experienced broker can do is they can look at the business and they can find the problems that they know a buyer's going to find. So, right. so for example, now earlier today I was having a conversation with someone about inventory and I made a video on my YouTube channel about why counting inventory is so important. And he's looking mm. at this business and he said, why is the profitability going up and down so drastically year after year? Mm. And, and I, 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 all I did is I looked at the, the, what the cost of goods sold was as a percentage of sales. 
and it changed quite a bit one year to the next. And I said, they're not managing their inventory properly. So inventory right. bought in one year is being used in another year and they're not, they're not doing proper accrual accounting with their inventory. And right. so when, I was, when I was a broker, when I first started, I didn't know to look for that. Right? Look for the inventory? Let, like look for a problem just like that one. You know, is, right. there, is there an indicator that there's a problem with the way they've been managing their inventory, how they count it and record it? And, but, but after a few negotiations and after a few businesses went through due diligence and different things were discovered, wow, did I ever learn. And then in the future, I would start looking for those things that I would see, right? And, and, and I, I know towards the end, um, I started to disqualify a lot of people because I would, oh, okay. I would start to poke holes in their, in their businesses. I'd be like, well, this is a problem. This is a problem. And this is a problem. And, and you know, there was this one business where it, this woman had submitted her financials to it was like a chamber of commerce awards program. And she won an award for, for fastest growing female owned business under 30 years old or something like that. And okay. then she came to sell her business and it turned out those financials were completely wrong for that year. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right. So, but that so, makes we, sense though. so if you're yeah. an experienced broker, you, you want a transaction to happen, yeah. but you, you're not going to waste your time with fluff, right? You're not going to say, Hey, this is not any, this is not a good deal. So the probability that this deal is going to happen it's not really good. So I don't really want to deal with you if possible. I'll put you on my back burner, right? You, you have levels to it then too, which makes so, sense. And that's how I was thinking initially. Like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, so I, I just uh, released on my YouTube channel uh, a video about the Q1 uh, 2019 IBBA broker survey report called Market Pulse. And so right. the, the uh, those brokers are members of the IBBA. And in that survey, they, they respond that they turn away 70% of the business owners. Wow. And, and those are the brokers that are members of this organization. So they pay money to be a part of a group where they get education, they get training, they have this, this group furthers the interest of business brokers. So, so these are like the professional business brokers. Right. Right. Not just the realtors. The, 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 gotcha. These are the guys who are serious about it and they're turning 70% of the people away. And where do those people. And they want to have a good reputation too. Right. And, and they want to have a good reputation. Right. Exactly. So, so the people that these guys turn away, where do they go? Craigslist. <laughs> or, or to one of these other brokers that doesn't know any better. Correct. Right. 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 So what's your take on Craigslist? Because initially I went there thinking that because I put owner only, right? To try to cut, to circumvent the broker. But now I'm seeing that there's just, there's a need for a broker. Like for me, it seems like a good broker, because I'm talking to this other lady, will educate the, the buyer and educate, will educate the seller. Be like, hey, no, you can't do that. Or, hey, this is why you want to do owner finance. This is how we're going to structure this deal. So everything will make sense for you. And but, Hey, that's unrealistic. What you're saying right now, your numbers don't reflect that. So how can you expect the buyer to come and give that to you? Yeah. Well, a good broker sets expectations. In my opinion, that's the number one thing they do is they, 
they help to make sure that people are realistic so that something actually can happen. But you know, it's, right. uh, it's free country, right? So if you own a business, it's up to you what you want to do with it. And, and who you want to listen to, right? You know, like it, Craigslist, you know, the people who are putting their business on Craigslist, um, you know, in my experience, they're usually very small businesses or yes. um, the owner doesn't even see the value of paying 50 or 60 bucks to biz buy sell to put it on there. Right. Right. So, so then I, so what do you think about serious. biz buy sell? So, so biz buy sell that's brokers and individuals can put listings up on there too. Like the, uh, business for sale owners can put it up there. Um, so, so my, my point was, if someone is, is trying to sell their business and they're not even willing to pay a relatively small investment to use a real business selling website, um, does that mean they're serious or not mm. about selling? Right. Or, I mean, I just find a lot of people are uneducated too. Like they might not even know about bills by sale, right? They're just well, ignorant. I, I agree with you, but that, that excuse is starting to get pretty thin with me because of Google. Correct. You know? Like, like right. the internet, right? Like, I mean, technology, anyone, anyone who wants to do something new. I mean, I watched a guy from Wales over in the UK. Uh, he taught me in 20 minutes how to properly lay a ceramic tile. Like, mm. you know, right. technology internet, has changed everything. Before the internet, I would have had to try to find a book or talk to somebody. I probably would have just said, screw it. I'm going to hire the guy. No, I learned yeah. how to learn tile because of the internet. Right. And everything is on there. Everything. Mm. I'm just curious, just to follow up though, with your guy for the adventure. So you've had people close these home cares with the, the deals. Have you had like these transactions happen? Uh, well, in fact, I've got, I've got one guy in the adventure group who just signed an LOI for one. So it should be closing imminently. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. How long did it take him to find this deal? This is America or Canada? He found it through a broker and he went back and forth with the broker before they got to the point of an LOI for about three months. Hmm. Negotiating the price or getting the information, no. and did you work as a consultant for evaluation or no? No, the, the the reason it took so long is is just because the seller's expectations were so high, and the and the buyer kept saying, you know, it's an interesting business to me, but it's just not worth that much. This this is where I would have to be, and and of course the seller then says, no, I don't want that, and then they come, and then later you talk again. Sometimes it takes a long time. The <clears throat> the sellers obviously want to get as much as they can. And right. Well, there's a lot of people trying to sell these home care businesses now for a million dollars. It's just, I don't know. Like, are they really trying to sell them or not? <laughs> All right. Well, that's funny because I was on um, a call earlier today, Mark, <clears throat> with a guy yeah. in London who says that everyone over there is trying to sell their business for a million pounds. <laughs> it's, it's, this, what, what, it's the psychology. What? It's the psychology of the number. Okay. They're, they're, it's always a million dollars. Because right or close. That's why I had to ask about the multiple. Like, what multiple are these people using? Like, I don't know this industry. It's called. It's called, called an asp- crazy. it's called an aspirational price. 
It's okay. What they, it's what they want. Right. Right. It has, it's not based in, it's not grounded in reality at all. It's just what they want. It's, it's grounded in what they think they need to buy a house in Phoenix and live on. For the rest of the <laughs> right. All right. right. That, that, this is wanting to get some light. I just needed to know how the, you know, the physics of the environment I'm in now. Cause you know, I'm so used to being an employee for so many years mm. and I realized now like how dangerous the environment we're entering into and how unregulated it is. Meaning like, like anything seems to go out here. Like if I'm a dumb at, if I'm dumb enough to give someone a million dollars for a business, they'll take it. Yeah. And that, that's just on me. Like I'm like, there's no complaining. You signed the paperwork. You agree to that. And well, I realize that now, even, go ahead. you know, the, the people who get really trapped by that are the people who have a million dollars because, because they can, make that <laughs> right. they can write that check and nothing's going to stop them from making that mistake. Right. But for most right. people, they make the deal and they go to the bank and the banker explains them why it's a dumb deal. Mm. If they're lucky. That's good. Right. Right. Or the banker says, no, you don't qualify and here's why. Or, or something, somebody else helps to save them. Um, and that's, that's the tragedy I run into so often with people that, like, like here, like you mentioned earlier, there was an immigration program here where people could move to Canada and, and if they had enough money to invest, they would get a fast track to, to immigrate. Right. And if they have the money in the bank and they write the check, you know, yeah, they can overpay for a business and nothing is going to stop them from doing it. And that's a real tragedy. You know, right. What, what a great way to welcome someone to your community than by, you know, having them be ripped off. Right. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Another way, they're, they're really just paying for citizenship. So, I mean, so once again, it's opportunity cost. Could they have paid maybe cheaper for a citizenship? Possibly, right? But, well, yeah. you know, in my situation, I don't, I don't have to pay for that. So I'm really trying not to get ripped off and I'm really trying to make sure my partner, cause I have a more like, you know, higher position in the sense that he's trusting me to make good decisions. Like I'm the money guy. So I really need to make like, good decisions for us. Well, the, the fact that you're aware and you're aware of the kind of things that, that are the potential for danger, um, sets you apart. And, and that, that, you know, your gut is going to help you. Like, you're right. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of danger out there. And um, mm-hmm. like, that's the whole reason why I started to go on YouTube was I was no, I appreciate tired it. of meeting people who had been taken advantage of. That's exactly what's going on out here. That's exactly what's going on here. It's dangerous. But, you know, I appreciate Listen, I'm going to run. Yep. This has been an extremely educational conversation for me. I appreciate that. I can tell we're going to be using you more and more often. Thank God we found you, honestly, because this is a resource. And this is what I've been telling my partner more and more. Like, we have to educate ourselves. We have to invest in ourselves. Like, this is not something, if we want to get to our goals or be successful at all, like, the problem is, like, being an employee, you always think, like, I don't know, it's a different mindset. Like, we're responsible for our own safety. Like, we're responsible. And so you've got to... This is like, you know, don't underestimate other people's knowledge. 
like, or belittle their knowledge. Like, I understand now speaking to you, watching your videos, and watching other people. Like, you brought up a point. If you want to know something, the internet's there, and you can find it out. And so, it's not just, hey, taking your word as gospel, looking, researching everything. And I realize you and several other people like you have a body of knowledge that's valuable. And we're, I'm going to actively try to take advantage of that because I feel as though why it's the shortcut to get where I want to go. Like, I believe, like, there's a shortcut to get where I want to go, and that's through education and making strategic decisions. Even you just tell me about the CPR business. We're already kind of doing it, trying to acquire other CPR business. But that's the right thing to tell me, right? That's, so I appreciate everything you're doing, David. Thank you so much. Mark, thank you so much, and I hope you have a very happy holiday season with your friends and your family. You too. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.